One o'clock on the East Coast. Guy Adami here. Carter Worth from Toulouse, France, there with some amazing artwork behind him. I'm sure we'll get some comments. Dan Nathan, not with us today. Uh, much deserved day off. But this is Market Call. Today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. In high school, we used to have to play all different sports in gym, Carter. And one of those sports was volleyball. And this phrase is always in my head, rotate and serve, rotate and serve. And I mention that because we are seeing a pretty significant rotation today. And before we get to your charts, which I think speaks to exactly that, what do you make of this day? Not Listen, look at the surface. Dow's up 40. NASDAQ's down a little bit, about a percent. S&P's, what, down maybe 11, 12 handles. So not all that much. But then when you really start to look below the surface, there's some really interesting things going on, I think, for both bulls and bears, by the way. For sure, right? So uh, just to your point, the market, S&P 500 anyway, is essentially lunch. But what we have is, uh, for the first time, reversal of some of the, uh, let's say, trends that have mm -hmm. been in place for a while. So industrials are up a lot. Small caps are up a lot. Uh, the transports, Dow Jones Transports itself, the index up a lot. And, and yet, of course, what we're seeing is real slippage in the things that are steep, uncorrected, the most embraced, right? So high-flying semis and tech-related names, idiosyncratic growth. Um, all under pressure. And whether you want to call it value, it has a value bent, or whether you want to call it small cap, because it has a small cap bent. Um, but those uh, areas are all doing very well. And the net of it is, of course, and this is the, the phenom that is the S&P, the S&P is on true. Right. And I would submit, if this trend can continue, you know, if you continue to see this rotation out of some of these names that clearly got ahead of themselves, but money finds its way into other sectors. I think on the margins, that's probably an encouraging thing. Now, I guess it, it, it's still, still yet to be determined whether or not that happens, but for at least a half a day, I'm looking at the clock, obviously, or so. This is, I would say, an encouraging series of events, or am I reading it incorrectly? No, I think that's right. If one wants to call the market concentration issue if you have money coming out of the most uh, love names where the concentration is and being sprinkled into other names, in principle, the market's construct is better. The concentration issue, remember, is not unique. If you go back over the last 45 years, on average, the top 10 stocks weigh about 20%. So sometimes more, sometimes less. But right now, of course, the top 10 are 30 and that then is the issue. So if and as, uh, and it should happen, it needs to happen, money uh, moves out of these um, big heavies and moves into smaller names, you have a healthier market. I agree with that. And, and I think even, I think the most ardent bull looks at today and says, you know what, this is an encourage, this is actually something that we need and doesn't take it necessarily as a negative. But again, we're going to see bond market continues to sort of vacillate Rates seem to be going higher. Before we get to your charts, and I don't know if we can pull this up on the fly, Jacob, if we can, it might be interesting. And I don't want to make a big deal out of this, Carter, but the HYG, which is something obviously I look at every single day just to sort of gauge what's going on in the credit markets, not a big deal today by any stretch, down about 40 or so points-ish, uh, 40, not 40 points, you know what I'm saying? It's like maybe yep. a quarter of a percent or so. Um, it doesn't seem like a big move. The problem, of course, is the HYG doesn't really move that way. So, you know, when you look at it on the day, you say, okay, 
down 45 pips, down six tenths of 1%. What are you making a big deal out of it? The only reason I even bring it up is because, you know, we've seen sort of this sideways action to starting rollover in the credit markets. And obviously, my biggest concern for quite some time, and I will say unfounded concern, I think it's important to bring that up, has been the fact that the credit markets could deteriorate. Now, I look at this, and you would submit that this is probably a pair of twos. Now, you can make a bullish argument here saying we're going sideways since, I don't know, mid-February-ish, which is encouraging. We're building a base. Other people would say it hasn't been able to get off the mat in a period of time when the markets rally. Just quickly, does this tell you anything at all? If the answer is no, we will absolutely move on. Well, the important thing is that it's low is the low of the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. The low of October. And in terms of its performance since, unlike the stock market, driven by those biggest of names, this has not made much progress. It really is an overlay with the Russell 2000. And so its behavior here, HYG or JNK, moving up in line with small caps would tell us a lot. My hunch is that's not what's going to happen. It will remain a pair of twos. Let's take a look at the charts you brought forth because it's the Russell versus the spider. And I think this is important. And you've talked about this for a while, and I think you've actually been highlighting how, you know, you thought this thing was going to, I don't want to say mean revert because that does, I don't think that's the right term, but you thought there was a potential for some outperformance in the Russell. Now, as you know, and it doesn't necessarily matter, but a lot of that has predicated on some of these uh, KRE, these small regional banks getting off the mat. But whether or not that matters or not, but that's been a driving force. But here we are. And you brought some charts. So let's talk, let's walk through these because I think it's really interesting. Right. So one thing to note, of course, is that banks and financials have a larger weighting in the Russell 2000 because there are so many uh, regionals uh, versus in the S&P 500. But you'll see from this report, it's dated May 11. Uh, the thinking was and remains that we're so extreme in terms of the underperformance of small cap to large cap, in this case, the IWM, the iShares Russell 2000 versus the SPY, that we're right at the COVID low. That's how bad it is. In fact, you'll see in the next iteration, if you look at the chart, we can, I mean, the lines draw themselves. Look at the next iteration, just put a straight line. And so the point of the piece, um, the point of the judgment was, this is so bad, it's good. It's down to a reference point, make the bet that it will bounce. Well, with a little bit of uh, dumb luck, a little bit of good timing, here we are now on the 7th of June, and the Russell 2000 is handily outperforming uh, the S&P 500. So the question is, how much, how long a trade is this? I think it should have more, and today's action is testament to that. We might uh, have these same charts longer term from mm -hmm. the report. There, there you see it even longer term, uh, going back one further, and basically – you know, draw the blue line, extend it across the bottom, uh, final iteration, and you'll just see that you know this was a this was a point where we could say, hey, let's let's make a bet. And the key to making a bet, of committing capital, is to um, have a frictionless mind. If it's wrong, just get out. But you have to make bets, pick your levels, and after that, it's in the lap of the gods. So obviously, a couple things can happen to make this work, and you know, I think that you believe. We're going to see a couple of things happen. You're going to see the S&P start to give some back, which by definition will help this, that upward arrow continue to move up. But I also think you're going to, you believe there could be some continued strength in the IWM. So again, a couple of things, this could be 
the S and P cratering and the Russell going nowhere. Correct. That would be bullish for that chart if we could pull it. Could it could be back the S and P cratering and the Russell cratering, but the S and P cratering more. More. Any sort of, but the idea is that this kind of has the elements of a bottom. This is the uh, IWM here itself, right? The, um, the 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 chart of the Russell 2000. And so we'll see. And again, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, in many ways, let's just say this: the hardest thing is how to cope with a winner. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what to do when you have a loser, or at least you should. You get out of it. It's when you've, I mean, and, and this happens to all of us, but it's important to say this. We've all been there when you buy a stock at 10, 12, and it's 11, 12, 13, 11, 10, all of a sudden 16, 18. You sell out at 18, having bought at 11. That's a great trade. When it goes to 38, that's a real screw up. I mean, you were there present at creation. Mm -hmm. Bought it at 11, sold out at 18, and went to 38. But it's hard to know. Managing winners are the hardest thing to do. So, so far, this is working. What to do, how to manage it, hard to know. My hunch is let it ride. We got a question about the IWM. I'm going to give my answer, but I'll ask the question first. So <clears throat> question from Anthony, where would you pull the plug on the IWM? Now, I think Anthony's saying, where would you take profits? I'm looking at a chart, and I would submit, Back in February, we traded up to 198 and failed. And if you go back even longer than that, back in August of last year, we effectively traded up to like 198, 200 and failed. That's the IWM. Given the fact that we've sort of been, um, we've held this low a couple times, I think 198 is reasonable off where it's trading now, which is about 186.90 or so. What are your thoughts, Carter? Well, that's right. And so, what we know is one approach is to try to determine a level that might have a reference point. In this case, you can draw a trend line and connect those two levels, the guy you just cited, the August high of last year, and then the February high of this year. And that would give you a downward sloping line, and I would use that <clears throat> as my price objective. That's where I would come out. Maybe we can – I don't know if we can um... – make this chart a little longer term because the trend line that Carter just talked about, it might look a little clearer if we sort of stretch this out a bit. If we can, I apologize. But in the meantime, I want to say, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, see, that's, you know, if you start, as you start to sort of look at this longer term, and if we could stretch it out a little bit more, you'll start to see where, you know, what Carter says makes sense. So that August high was, I think, a little north of 200. This next high comes in around 198. If, in fact, that's two points of a downtrend line, it stands to reason that next level is going to come in, I don't know, somewhere between probably 192 and 195. And I'm just eyeballing this real quick. Yeah. We got another question from Eric. What's going on with gold? Seems to be bouncing off the bottom of a channel and 150-day moving average. I don't know if we can pull up a gold chart, uh, gold futures, just to take a look at it. We have held an uptrend line mm -hmm. uh, pretty well. It's obviously not having a particularly good day today. I do think that uptrend is still intact. And you can look at it. We didn't draw the lines because we're doing this on the fly. But your eyes can see that. I know your eyes can. So I look at this and say, you know what? This uptrend has been intact since effectively November, which makes sense. Um, the moving averages are clearly sloping higher. We've had every reason to test the lows. We've tested and bounced. Um, this, to me, is a trade you want to stay long. What are your thoughts? Yes, and so it's the question is, is there anything out of the ordinary in the sell-off? Because if a sell-off is out of the ordinary, then it's not weakness you want to take advantage of. It's weakness you want to stay away from. But it is ordinary. It, it's a dip. It's a correction. It's a pullback. It's a drawdown. It's a decline. It's 
normal in the sequence that is the gold chart. And so I would add to longs, take advantage of the dip. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I will, what I'll say on the fundamental side of things in central banks, and I've said this a thousand times, that if there are new people in the audience, it's important to hear it. In 2022, I think central banks bought about $71 billion worth of gold. I think it was 1,131 tons, which was a record. They're seemingly on pace to do similar this year. Uh, the Bank of China continues to seemingly sell treasuries, buy gold. And, and I've said this as well. All that has not manifested itself in the price in a meaningful way. But I will say this as well. I don't think the market is long of gold. I think the market's bullish of gold. And when I talk about the market, I mean the speculators. The commitment of traders suggests that longs have not piled in. And, of course, the good news is they won't pile in as we sort of go sideways. They tend to sort of get in on breakouts to the upside. So that community... Uh, which is probably not focused on gold, and nor should they be. There are other things going on. They will be focused if we can take out those prior highs. So I still think there's a real good chance of that happening, Carter. Absolutely. It's uh, it's something one needs to own. You just decide the size, but it, you, you need to have some gold. Your IWM, I think, is going to be correct. I do think, you know, before we go to the next topic, I do think the Russell can – outperform but outperform with the russell going higher as well as potentially the spy the spider going lower because i do think what's happening here um as people pile into these regional banks in the absence of bad news there's going to be sort of this flocking to these names as people try to find value i do think there's another headline out there the problem is of course i don't, can't tell you when that is in the meantime i think those stocks will continue to grind which is going to grind the IWM higher. And you're seeing that today is a snapshot of what Carter's work has been suggesting since early May. Let's take a look at this headline, Bank of Canada. I mean, I don't want to make a huge deal out of this, but it goes to speak about what's going on around the world. You know, Bank of Canada lifting rates again, economy is overheating. And, you know, it just sort of speaks to what's going on globally. You know, all these central banks are seemingly fighting the same dragon, uh, some with more success than others. You're obviously seeing it, <clears throat> excuse me, in Europe, where inflation is a much bigger problem there than it is here. But, you know, they've made the decision in Europe that inflation is a bigger problem than the slowing economy. Here in Bank of Canada saying, you know, we really got to slow things down here or inflation is going to be a problem. And this is a battle that's going on around the world. And, you know, for whatever reason, Carter, and, you know, I know you have at times the fundamental hat on as well. Equity markets don't seem to care, but I will tell you, as two tens continues to widen out here in the United States and as rates continue to sort of grind higher, it's not for the right reasons, in my opinion. Right. So basically, we have a global rate environment where rates, there's tightening. But of course, in Japan, the easy money policies persist. And we know that the Nikkei has been a runaway train. That too, uh, similar to our Socks and the QQQ is extended now and uh, due for an important give back. Uh, but as it relates to uh, U.S. Treasuries here, we, we're, we're basically stuck, right? Rates have not uh, progressed to the same level they were exactly a year ago. And I suspect ultimately rates are going lower. Matrix of Compassion, who's with us every day, um, and thank you for that. A lot of people are, so thank everyone, obviously. But his question and Jacob, if we can pull up a Boeing chart, and we actually talked about it on Fast Money last night. 
Any thoughts on Boeing? Looks like it's been consolidating above the 150-day and the 200-day moving average. So I'm going to make a quick comment on Boeing. If you look at Boeing over the last six, seven months or so, and you can see it right in front of you, it's been basically going sideways. We've been trading at a pretty well-defined range, but going sideways. What I will say is, and you might have some thoughts on this, and we could probably widen this chart out a little bit. Typically, the headline we got yesterday in Boeing would have sent the stock down six, seven, eight percent. We've seen that historically. Yesterday, the stock was down a dollar, which is a dollar and a half, which is insignificant. So I bring that up because what's seemingly happening now, Carter, is bad news is being mitigated to a certain extent. So I actually think this is somewhat constructive. The fact that we continue to hold the 200 day moving average and seemingly are not trading off on bad news. Now, I might be looking at it entirely wrong, but in terms of his question, that's the way I'm looking at this. What are your thoughts? Right. So the, the circumstances that are important, of course, is that when it was making it, its lows earlier this year, it did not undercut the prior lows. Two, the current consolidation is a normal response to the preceding very strong advance. So the strong move off of the low, something of a double bottom, uh, gets ahead of itself. And now this very tight range bound trading that you've worked off the excess of the preceding move. Mm -hmm. And in principle, this is the setup for the next advance. Uh, I like it. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you said it's working off because a lot of people trade on. It's interesting. I've said this all along. You have to marry so many different things together. Obviously, you do extraordinarily uh, thoughtful technical work, and we try to sort of marry that with a bunch of different things. Unfortunately, a lot of times people look at one indicator as to something to trade against. For example, people will trade off RSIs. Now, I would submit RSIs are important, but if that's the only metric you're looking at, you know, you can really get yourself in trouble because to your point, something can be extraordinarily oversold or overbought on RSIs in that very specific silo. But you just said it, the market can work off that overbought condition in a period of time for different stocks, for different indices, it's a different amount of time. But over the course of time, if things go sideways, those overbought or oversold conditions can be worked off. So something that looked overbought two weeks ago all of a sudden becomes reasonable on those metrics. And I think when you said it in that way, the fact that it can work off that bounce that you saw, I think that's really interesting. Quick thoughts on that before we move to Stan Druckenmiller. Yes, and so, and then the question is to time when the rest, the consolidation, the working off of the excess is finished. Usually, uh, you wait for the next heavy volume day. It's mm -hmm. already 10.05, only a half hour in trading, and volume's a third of average daily volume. Then it's 11.10, and wow, we traded half the average volume. And by noon, already an average day of volume, the stock's up. Then that's the tell. Not infallible, but it's the tell one uses to say, hey, it looks like the rest is finished. This, the resting is finished. This stock is reasserting itself. Time to get in motion. Yeah, that's why it's, it's exactly right. That's why, you know, you have to be patient with these things and wait for that tell to present itself. We haven't seen it yet. Um, the volume has been, you know, I would say marginal at best over the last couple of weeks. Doesn't mean anything, but you haven't seen these big volume days. The market's sort of been creeping higher on low volume. Let's take a look at Stan. Now, this is, you know this, Carter. I know it. I mean, Stan Druckenmiller is a legend in our world, and he's been pretty vocal 
over the last year or so. And I think he was on Bloomberg, I think, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but you know, he's basically saying, um, be careful out there because he's expecting a hard land. And he actually said he could see 15 to 20% drop in earnings. He said a bunch of different things. He was positive on NVIDIA, which is fine. I mean, I think he's got a long-term view there. We can look at an NVIDIA chart in a second. But he said, listen, inflation persists. Expect a hard landing. And that's something we've been saying for a while as well. So it's not just me talking about this. It's not just you talking about this. This is a legend in our world. And the impact of higher interest rates has yet to be felt in some sectors of the economy with more shoes to drop. That's another theme we've been talking about as well. So I know people get on us for saying it all the time, but when you hear it from somebody like him, I think it carries a bit more weight. Thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, just to be as frank as one can be. We all enter the market at whatever age your first trade was, and we all know what it's like when you have a great winner, when you have a loser, and we all know when you have a great year. But Druckenmiller put together a net worth of multiple billion dollars trading in the market. Uh, there are very few people who have done that. And so when he says something like this, we all listen. Now, it is also worth stating that he changes his mind, as mm -hmm. he should. And you need to, I need to, too. We all need to, because conviction kills. You just stay in something and stay in something. You people ride stocks like Enron all the way to zero. So he is very quick to remind people that he might uh, be saying something positive about gold in one conference. And then two weeks later, he said, well, I, I sold my gold. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is the nature of one of the great uh, market participants of all time. That's right. It's very fluid. Dogma does kill. I'm, I, I really fight against it all the time. I think we all do. A problem, of course, is I think we're all sort of um, we're all bound to it in some way, shape or form, some more than others. But that's just the nature of the beast in terms of human beings. We talked about NVIDIA. Let's pull up that NVIDIA chart. I had mentioned yesterday with Dan and you can speak to this far more intelligently than I, but, you know, that setup is one half of a potential. And I emphasize this, a potential island reversal um, that you don't see all that often, but you have the makings of now. So if for an order for that to take place, you'd have to get a gap open lower somewhere, probably let's call it 350 or lower. Um, we're probably 10 percent from there, but we've seen stranger things happen. Uh, am I right in pointing that out, number one? And if, in fact, I am right, what's the potential for this to go down to? Thoughts on that? Sure. So the, the, the key important uh, data point is that when you gap up a little bit, 3% at the open because you beat your earnings, or you gap down 4% because Goldman Sachs downgrades the stock, um, there often is follow-through. The stock continues lower, continues higher. But when you gap up like this, and a major percent change. Markets are inefficient. We know this. Uh, efficient market theory is a joke. It's been debunked. But stocks are very efficient on the day that they are re-rated aggressively higher or lower uh, to go exactly where they, quote, belong. And what I mean by that is this, that news on earnings is released 99% of the time when markets are closed, after the close, or in the morning before the open. And thousands of men and women go to work figuring out what the new information means. What does this mean for valuation? What did they say about the growth rate? How are the margins? And they run their models. And so hundreds of thousands of man hours, 
women hours go into figuring out. And then when you gap up big, as NVIDIA did, you actually are very efficient in taking the stock to where it belongs. All of that input. And notice two weeks later, it's exactly the mm -hmm. same price. So a small gap, you get follow through, down or up. But an epic gap like this, down or up, you stick, it sticks and it's stuck. And so what's interesting in this kind of thing is you, you sell volatility if you can. Um, as to the prospects of, a, of, an, uh, of an island reversal and ultimately filling that gap to the downside, uh, that's a low probability anytime soon. Yeah, it's interesting. I agree with you. I, I mean, I probably have it as a 25% probability. You probably think it's lower, but you know, you don't see setups like that all that often, especially in stocks that are now approaching a trillion or so dollars in market cap. So it, it is something to look out for. I don't know what the catalyst would be. It would obviously take place on a piece of news when the market's closed, which would make the stock have that gap lower. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's something that potentially could. And it's clearly out there. And I think you're right uh, in terms of in the meantime, you're probably getting paid to sell volatility. Let's take a look at the bond market real quick, because this is something I know you look at all the time. You've charted bond market still trying to figure stuff out here. And we're looking at through the, I believe, the TPI, if I'm not mistaken. So let's take a look at this. We continue to be sort of in this pennant, long-term uptrend, shorter-term downtrend. The ranges continue to consolidate. Something's got to give here, or maybe nothing gives. Maybe we continue to sort of have a more and more narrow range into the summer, into the fall. But what are your thoughts on That's this? That's my hunch, just what you said there, meaning it, that it just it neither rewards nor punishes those who are long or short, and that we are kind of where we belong. And ultimately, the question is, and this is where the money will be made, are rates going meaningfully higher from here, or are they going to give back a meaningful amount of the bump up in rates over the last year and a half. I'm in the latter camp. Ultimately, I think rates are going lower. We have to talk about Tesla because it would be disingenuous if we didn't bring it up. You know, we bring it up when it's down. Well, now it's gone from about 158 to two. I think it's 220-ish today, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's a pretty good looking chart, I think. What are your thoughts here? Or are we exhausting ourselves again? Uh, excellent day-to-day -day price action, great relative strength, especially on a day when uh, its brethren, if you will, stocks of its ilk, uh, of its type, the most loved, are under pressure. It is, however, and this is important, ahead of itself. If I were long, I would sell calls against the entire thing. So to me, at my eye looks at sort of the high we broke down from in the fall of last year, and it probably comes in somewhere around 240-ish or so. We're, so we're, we're pretty close to that. So I think you're right. I mean, if you've enjoyed the move, if you can sell some calls, upside calls get paid, uh, and maybe those calls come in the form of maybe 250, I don't know, Julys. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm not looking at an options um, grid, but that does seem to make a lot of sense. The flip side of this um, today is Microsoft, our last chart before we get out of here, because Carter's kind enough to join us from Europe. Let's take a look at Microsoft, because as we talked about at the beginning of the show, this rotation, well, you're seeing it here. Now, I would submit, again, I'm not suggesting I'm right. I'm shocked that Microsoft has had the move that it's had. You know, we've talked about it, the entire move. Well, I shouldn't say the entire move. I would say 80 to 85 percent of this move in Microsoft since January it's not on fundamentals. It's a lot of it's just multiple expansion. People are willing to pay 
more for a dollar's worth of earnings in Microsoft. But very quietly, this stock has gotten itself pretty damn expensive, giving some back today, which again, I think is a good thing. But is there a potential to get back to that prior level we saw back in August of last year, which I think is, I don't know, 295, 300 or so. Right. Well, that's a that's a substantial. You're talking about, of course, getting into a 10% sell-off for Microsoft, in which case the market will be considerably lower S&P. Um, uh, the, the main thing, right, is, is that, uh, to your point, uh, there was a lot of money flow uh, embracing this stock, Apple, and others of its type, to the point where, of course, uh, Apple and Microsoft, the, the two biggest, 15% um, of the S&P. Again, you have to go back to uh, the 1970s when um, AT&T and IBM uh, were the top two to get a concentration more than uh, 14%. So it gets down to if the word correction implies that something was incorrect mm -hmm. and the current sell-off day-to-day in Microsoft is the beginning of a correction, um, it should be more than 1%, 2%. There is, no, there is no mathematical number. Is it 7? Is it 11? Um, but it's not 2, right? And so what one can anticipate is something lower than this um, and prospectively as low as the horizontal green line that you've drawn on the chart, which would, of course, be uh, roughly 10%. But at the end of the day, if you're long Microsoft here and now, do something. Trim, write calls, take some measures before, as they say, someone does it for you. Move your feet, as they say. Card, I want to be respectful of your time. You have a dinner to go to. I appreciate I don't know what that artwork is behind you. I'm certain it's either. expensive, but... Thanks for joining us. Obviously, thank the audience. Always amazing audience we have. Thank you for your questions. We're going to try to field more of them. As we mentioned, this coming Monday, noon, Sirius XM, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami doing market call-in on Sirius, which is going to be a lot of fun. We'll give you more details as we get closer. I want to thank FactSet, our sponsor, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow, the great Carter Braxton Worth. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, with EY from SoFi and probably a little Butters as well. Later, peeps. Later.